to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Some of us have gone through the books of the Bible many times over, and what do we discover as we go through those books of the Bible? Every time we go through those books of the Bible, we find out something else about God, some insight, some perspective, some understanding that we previously missed. Or we come back and we learn something over again. God is inexhaustible. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, in a message titled, God's Nature. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Well, once again, we are looking at the first four words of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and we're looking once again at those words, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. We began our study in Genesis by looking at some of the arguments for the existence of God. We looked at the cosmological argument, which is the argument from the law of cause and effect. We looked at the teleological argument, which is the argument from design and purpose in the universe. We looked at the moral argument, which is the argument from the universal recognition of right and wrong. We also looked at the argument from congruity, which in essence states, belief in the existence of God best explains the facts of our moral, mental, and religious natures as well as the facts of the material universe. And then we concluded that the best argument for God's existence is Jesus Christ, whom the Bible declares to be God manifested in the flesh. The next question that we need to address as we consider these first four words in the beginning, God, is what is God like? So many of our struggles and problems are really due to our limited knowledge of God. We know a lot about ourselves and other people. We know a lot about, actually far too much, about sin and evil. But we really know very little about God. And You know, even as Christians, even as people who are in church and attending Bible study and reading the scriptures, of course, the the subject matter, God himself, is an inexhaustible subject. And, And we get little bits and pieces here and there, but we are still so limited in our knowledge of God. And it's something that we need to keep growing in. 
as I was reading over John chapter 17 this morning. This verse, it's a verse that I always just like reading it. Jesus, of course, in John 17, he's praying. This is his high priestly prayer. And there in that prayer to his father, he said these words. He said, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God. And, you know, I thought about that. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God. Now, you know, the word that's translated eternal life has both a quantitative and a qualitative element to it. Now, most of the time, I think we tend to think of it in the quantitative sense. We think of eternal life as life that's going to go on forever. But we miss out on this other, this, this qualitative element. And, you know, the Bible teaches, of course, that eternal life is not something that we're going to get when we die or if we happen to live till the time of the rapture and then go to heaven. Eternal life is something that we presently possess because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But as I was reading this, you know, it made me think that in a qualitative sense, our experience of eternal life increases as our knowledge of God increases. And that's really what we want to be doing. We want to be increasing in our knowledge of God so that we can be growing and developing more and more in this experience of this thing we call eternal life. Or another way to translate that is age-abiding life. It's a quality of life that's far above and beyond anything else that you could ever possibly find. But you see, that's going to increase. That's going to grow the more we get to know the Lord. And so with that in mind, what, what we want to do is let's take a look at the nature of God. And, and let's really look at God's nature. Let's look at his, some of his attributes and let's meditate on those things and see if perhaps we can't experience that eternal life that we're talking about in a greater way, God's nature. So God's nature, what is God like? Well, let's look at some terms that that theologians have used to describe what God is like. One of the terms is incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. And when when we understand what they mean by God being incomprehensible, it is really a glorious, glorious truth. Now, when we say that God is incomprehensible, this is what we mean. God cannot be finally or totally comprehended or understood by human beings. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't know God. Obviously, we know that we can know God. But what it means is that we can never know him in the ultimate, final, and complete sense because he's beyond our capacity to know him in that way. Paul expressed it like this. He said, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom 
and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And remember what Isaiah said that, or, or actually the Lord speaking through Isaiah, for my ways are not your ways. And as the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And they're, they're beyond your ability to ultimately comprehend them. Now, really, this doctrine of the incomprehensibility of God is a great blessing. And let me read to you from one theologian what he said. He said, this doctrine has much positive application for our own lives personally. It means that, listen, we will never be able to know too much about God, for we will never run out of things to learn about him. And we will thus never tire in delighting in the discovery of more and more of his excellence and of the greatness of his works. You know, some of us know that already in some sense because some of us have gone through the books of the Bible many times over. And what do we discover as we go through those books of the Bible? Every time we go through those books of the Bible, we find out something else about God, some insight, some perspective, some understanding that we previously missed. Or we come back and we learn Something over again. It, it is, God is inexhaustible. And so we don't have to worry about ever exhausting the subject of God and, and coming to the point of boredom. If a person is bored with God, the reality is they're not really connecting with God. They're not really understanding who it is they're connecting with because he's incomprehensible. We can never exhaust this mind, this wealth of understanding and knowledge. And so that's the idea behind the term incomprehensible. Secondly, God is infinite. We talk about that sometimes. We talk about the fact that we are finite and God is infinite. But what does that actually mean? It means that God is an absolute being. He is not derived from something else nor conditioned by anything else. God is completely self-contained, in other words. That's the idea that's being communicated. God's infinity suggests to us that he is the cause of everything else. All existence, all being derives from him. Another way to communicate this idea of God being infinite is to use the term transcendent. Maybe you've heard that term before. People speak of God as being transcendent. And it's pretty much the same idea. The transcendence of God is another way of describing the fact that he is infinite. He is above, beyond, and independent of everything that is. So God is totally self-sufficient. He has no needs God did not create the universe. He did not create the angels. He did not create man or the animals or anything else because he needed something, because there was something lacking in him or he, you know, had any necessity of any sort of dependence on anything outside of himself. He is infinite. He is transcendent. And actually, the name, we're familiar with the name Yahweh, sometimes pronounced Jehovah. 
But the name itself actually implies the transcendence of God. That, that's really the meaning behind the name Yahweh. Remember when God said to Moses, Moses asked the question when the Lord was sending him to Pharaoh and to the children of Israel. Moses said, who do I say has sent me? And the Lord said, say, I am has sent you. And that's what Yahweh is. I am. I am absolute. I am all sufficient. I am everything that matters. I am, you know, in the end, ultimately, everything else is, of course, dependent upon God. So God is incomprehensible. God is infinite. Thirdly, God is a spirit. Now, the Bible uses what we call anthropomorphic language to speak to us about God. And what anthropomorphic language means is it uses language that we can understand as human beings, and it communicates with us in ways that that we can relate to. And so it speaks of God sometimes in human terms, but we, we have to understand that that is an anthropomorphism. It's not actually the case. Because God is spirit, and when we are told God is spirit, of course, Jesus is the one who told us that. He said, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But what this means is that in his essential being, God has none of the properties that belong to matter. See, that's hard for us to comprehend because we exist in the space, time, matter continuum. So to think of a being who is not subject to this type of a thing is it's a difficulty for us, but this is what the Bible teaches. God is invisible from the material standpoint. He is without parts, without body, free from any and every limitation. Now, again, what we're talking about here is that God is a spirit. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a form. It just means that he doesn't have a physical form. And, and I personally believe when we see pictures given to us in the scripture of God having a form, I believe that we can understand that, that there is a form to God. It's just not a physical form. It's not made of the same substance that everything else in the universe is made of. Because, of course, God is outside of this dimension in that sense. And so God is spirit. And then God is personal. God is personal. God is a person. He has personality. And in contrast to that, God is not merely a force or an energy. To a lot of people today, and especially New Age-minded people, God is simply a force. God is simply energy. And you've got to harness that energy for your advantage. That's kind of the little bit of Oprah theology. That's the way she and others like her are thinking of God. They're not thinking of God in the sense that the Bible reveals God, God as a person. When we read that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, what that's describing there is interaction between Two persons. Jesus said, 
He that has seen me has seen the Father. And, of course, Jesus was a person. So the Bible reveals God as personal. He has personality. And therefore, since he is a person, he is personal, that means he's also knowable. And this is fairly unique to Christianity. Of course, you find it in Judaism as well. But, but even today, within Judaism, there isn't any real emphasis or stress on a personal relationship with God. Jews don't think in those terms. They think of God more in the sense of a lawgiver, and we are here to just simply obey his laws, and we can count on his sort of providential blessing and so forth, but they don't think in terms of a a personal relationship with God. That idea is really exclusively a Christian concept, personal relationship. So God is personal. But we move from looking just strictly at God's nature to what have been called God's natural attributes. There, within the various systematic theologies that have been written, you always find the first, generally speaking, the first section of a systematic theology deals with God. And these theologians will go through the attributes of God, and they will refer to the natural attributes of God. They will refer to the moral attributes of God. Some of them like to speak of the incommunicable attributes of God, which means attributes that God alone possesses, and then communicable attributes are attributes that God possesses, but he shares with his creatures, particularly with men. So we want to look at God's natural attributes. And then next time, we want to zero in specifically on his moral attributes. But what are the natural attributes of God? Well, at the top of the list is eternality. Eternality. God is eternal. I have had, and usually it's little children that ask the question, I've had many calls on the radio program where a child will you know, call in and ask the classic question, where did God come from? And the answer is, God has always been. When we say God has always been, he always will be. There never was a time that God came into existence because he is from everlasting to everlasting. We are expressing there the eternality of God. God is eternal. God alone is eternal. Everything else is a creature. Everything else is made by God. God alone possesses the attribute of eternality. God is without beginning and without ending. He is everlasting. Psalm 90 verse 2 declares, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That great uh, prophecy in Micah chapter 5, concerning the birthplace of the Messiah. It says, but you, Bethlehem, in Judah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth is from old, 
even from everlasting. A declaration there of the eternality of the Messiah. And so God is eternal. Secondly, in regard to his natural attributes, God is what we call immutable. And this is a great attribute, believe me. God is immutable. We speak of the immutability of God, and this is what it means. God is absolutely unchangeable. God is absolutely unchangeable. He can never be different in his essence. He is always the same. You know, it really would be frightening if when we understand who God is, if he wasn't immutable, it would be a very frightening thing because then he would be capricious. He would be perhaps one day benevolent, and then you never know, maybe the next day he'd be upset. And that would be a horrific kind of a thing if that were the case. But the Bible teaches us that God is immutable. He does not change in the very essence of who he is, his nature, he cannot change. God is good, he's just, he's righteous, he's holy, and he always has been, and he always will be, and he can never change. That's what immutability means. That's what it means when the Lord says, I am the Lord, I do not change. Now, some people say, oh, well, you know, the Bible's mistaken there because we read in places where it says, and God repented of this. That's, th- those are two different things. God hasn't changed in his essence. God's attitude will change when the situation changes or when the circumstances change. We have an example of that in the, the case of Jonah. You remember God sent Jonah to Nineveh. And Jonah was to go and de- declare to the Ninevites, 40 days and then destruction comes. And that was his message. He went through the city, 40 days and destruction comes. 40 days and destruction comes. The Lord had declared, I'm going to destroy the city. But as Jonah began to preach, what happened? The Ninevites repented. And so the judgment did not come. Why? Because God changed his mind? No, because the Ninevites changed. The judgment was going to come because of their sin, but they turned away from their sin. But when we talk about the immutability of God or the fact that God doesn't change, it doesn't really refer to those kinds of things anyway. As I'm saying, it refers really to uh, God in his essence, who he is at the very core of his being. Just like we're told regarding Jesus Christ, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then James tells us concerning the Father of light, speaking, of course, of God the Father, with him there is no variation or shadow of turning. I am so thankful that God is immutable. And again, this doctrine is particularly comforting for the person who has suffered because of the fickleness the changing nature of other people. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. One of my favorite topics is history, and church history is 
a part of that. I've read many church history books, and I recently read a fantastic book by an author named John Dixon, and the book is called Bullies and Saints. And the subtitle is An Honest Look at the Good and Evil in Christian History. And John is an Australian. He is an apologist. He is also a historian, and he does an excellent job at looking at both the good and the bad things in church history. So if you're into history, I think knowing church history is important for Christians. I highly recommend Bullies and Saints by John Dixon. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Bullies and Saints, An Honest Look at the Good and Evil of Christian History by John Dixon. You can order the book Bullies and Saints by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Bullies and Saints by John Dixon to help you understand both the good and bad historical contributions of Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.